from John chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Let's hear the word and read the word of God. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hours comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Anyone need a glass of water? Well, it's good to be here this morning and um, especially to to share with you this passage from John chapter 16. But let's just pray first. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would sanctify us now by your truth and grant that the spirit of truth may lead us into all truth through him who is the truth, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, for the next few minutes, I want you to imagine that you are in the upper room with Jesus and his followers. 
I'm tempted to suggest that you close your eyes, but I don't want you to fall asleep, so you can keep them open. It's the fateful night before Jesus' crucifixion. They've gathered for the Passover supper, observed for more than a thousand years since the time of Moses. Now that feast was intended as a festive occasion, celebrating the liberation of God's people from centuries of slavery under the uh, cruel hands of the Egyptians. Yet I can only imagine that on this particular occasion, the air must have been fraught with apprehension and foreboding. The disciples could not have known exactly what lay ahead, but Jesus did. Yet almost certainly, they must have picked up on the mounting hostility that had been surrounding Jesus and them since their coming to Jerusalem only a few days before. And if that weren't enough, Jesus had already taken the unleavened Passover bread and broken it with the ominous words, this is my body broken for you. And then the cup of wine saying, this is my blood shed for you. Perhaps you've noticed already, though, that unlike the other three gospel writers, John makes almost no mention of the Last Supper. He gives it barely a mention, just a single word in passing. And there's a reason. And it's because John's focus is on something else. It's on Jesus' words of comfort and assurance to his followers words that each one of them would carry with them for the rest of their lives. It's clear that Jesus knows what lies ahead of him. And this is his last opportunity to prepare these, his closest companions, for the sequence of events that would lead to his crucifixion, not to mention all that would be happening to them after that event. In the dozen verses that make up our passage for this morning, Jesus assures them that even though his, his time with them is coming to an end, they will not be left alone. In chapter 14, he's already promised that he would not leave them as orphans, that he would be giving them another helper, the spirit of truth, who would be with them not just for a few short years, but forever. And now as we come into chapter 16, Jesus unwraps that promise to give them some more extended teaching on who the Holy Spirit is and what he would come to do. The word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, both in chapter 14 and in this chapter 16, our passage this morning, uh, in, in our English Standard Version Bibles is helper. If you look at other translations, you'll find that it's also rendered advocate, comforter, counselor, and even friend. And so the challenge for translators is that very often a word in one language has no exact equivalent in another. The original word that our, in our Bibles is translated helper literally means a legal advisor. That is, someone who's called to assist another person in court, whether as an advocate or a witness or representative. And so for this reason, my own preference for this word would be something more like counselor or advocate. But we don't need to sweat over words. 
Because in our passage this morning, Jesus sets out for us exactly what the Holy Spirit's role will be in relation to the world, in relation to his followers, which includes you and me today, and in relation to himself. And so first then, in relation to the world, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so let's just take a moment to try to unwrap what Jesus means when he tells us that Jesus will convict the world. Well, once again, other translations render that phrase, expose the error of the world, or prove the world wrong. And the word literally means to cross-examine, to put to shame, to treat with contempt, to accuse, to test, sorry, to bring to the test, to refute. I had a little fun this past week and asked the internet to give me some other synonyms. And here are a few of the alternatives that my computer came up with, or at least the, the web came up with. Invalidate, discredit, give the lie to, debunk, show in its true light, knock the props out from under, shoot full of holes, blow out of the water, blow sky high. Well, I, I suspect that by now you get the drift of what the Holy Spirit has come to do. And so often the world's idea of what is right and good is diametrically opposed to what God himself has set forth and commanded. You may remember way back in John chapter 3 when Jesus warned Nicodemus, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And centuries before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah had mourned, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul echoes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it is that uh, tragically we live in a world and in a society that is morally and spiritually spinning out of control. Gender confusion is considered normal behavior. So-called abortion rights are protected by the courts, no matter the precious lives of the helpless ones within the mother's wombs. Assisted suicide is upheld by legislation as morally acceptable, even a desirable way for life to end. And in the nation to the south of us, there's a man who will likely be convicted of criminal offenses and who clearly has no moral judgment who could easily be elected the next president. And so it's clear to me that left to our own devices, we human beings cannot be relied upon to choose good over evil, truth over falsehood, right over wrong. Yes, there are and there have been many noble exceptions. And there have been times and there are when truth and righteousness have indeed prevailed. Yet there is also a sad trail of wreckage that goes all the way back 
to win our first forebears spurned the wisdom of God for a fruit that they found pleasing to the eyes and naively thought would bring them wisdom. And so it is the Holy Spirit who is able to unmask the lies that the world would have us believe and to lead us into the truth. And that's not to say that Christians have not taken the wrong path and do not continue to do so, and sometimes with cruel and calamitous results. But that happens when we close our eyes and shut our ears to the Holy Spirit. As the psalmist pleads, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so if the first role of the Holy Spirit is to expose sinful thoughts and attitudes, the second is to be our guide into what is true and right and just and good. Some years ago, Karen and I spent uh, a day in the village of Gadamas. It's an ancient Berber settlement on the border of Libya, Algeria, and Tunisia. And its history can be traced back 6,000 years. No doubt we would have found it interesting just wandering through its curving, whitewashed passageways and admiring its palm-shaded oasis. Had we known more than a word or two of Arabic, it might have been even better. <laughs> but what made all the difference was we had a guide. And Tahar took us into places we never would have known about or even imagined were there. He explained its history and traditions and introduced us to some of its people. In a word, he was able to bring it all to life to make sense of what otherwise would have been a total mystery to us. And we would, never, we would have left Gadamas, never having any idea of what we had missed. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be our guide to lead us into all the truth. Now, I don't believe that the truth that Jesus is referring to in these verses is what we might call scientific truth. More than once, uh, people have gone wrong by thinking they can treat the Bible as a kind of scientific manual. But no, the truth that Jesus is talking about here is that the God that, he came to, that the Holy Spirit came to reveal is a God who is sovereign over all creation. Yet he does not dwell in blissful isolation in some remote throne in the heavens. No, he's personal and accepts and accessible to every human being. And what's more, he loves you and he loves me. And we're not just talking about some wishy-washy, feel-good love, but a costly love. Indeed, a love that shouldered the ultimate cost. A love that bore the pain and, and, and shed blood, shed the blood of his own son on the cross for your sins and for mine. The truth that Jesus was talking about is discovering the wisdom from above, the wisdom that in the Bible's words is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The Bible warns us that this kind of truth, 
the truth into which the Holy Spirit is leading us is something the world at large just does not get. The Apostle Paul described it as a wisdom of this age, sorry, not of this age, or of the rulers of this age, but the secret and hidden wisdom of God. Yet, as Jesus has promised, this is the truth that sets us free, free to become the men and women that Jesus, that God has created us to be, that Jesus has redeemed us to be, and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be. And so it is that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He comes to lead us into the truth, and specifically the truth that is in Jesus. And all this brings us to a third point that Jesus left with his disciples. And it is a point that really flows from the first two. And that is that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. Indeed, without the Holy Spirit, you and I would never be able to claim Jesus as Lord in the first place. For it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to recognize Jesus for who he is. The Holy Spirit does not come to point us to himself. He comes to point us to Jesus. He does not stand at the center of the stage, for he does his work in the background, and for the most part silently and unseen. And it's for this reason the Holy Spirit has sometimes been called the shy member of the Trinity. <clears throat> yes, there were the big events like Pentecost and the conversion of the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. But those are the exceptions, the high points, the events that made the headlines. While all along, quietly and in the background, there were those faithful souls in their thousands who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, with glad and generous hearts, and having favor with all the people. This past week, as I was preparing for this morning, I came across some very helpful words from a Pentecostal website. Let me read them to you. The Spirit does not reveal himself. The Spirit reveals Christ. The fullness of the Spirit is the fullness that he gives as we gaze on Christ. The power of the Spirit is the power we feel in the presence of Christ. The joy of the Spirit is the joy we feel from the promises of Christ. And so it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to proclaim from our hearts with true conviction, Jesus is Lord. It is the Spirit who empowers us to worship God in joyful adoration. It is the Spirit who makes it possible for us to bear witness to Jesus with genuineness and conviction and authenticity. In the next few moments, we'll be pausing to do what Jesus was doing with his disciples on that last evening before his crucifixion when he spoke these words. And with them, once again, we'll hear his words. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. 
And so as we take the bread into our hands and bring the cup to our lips, may we also take the opportunity to open our hearts afresh to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of Jesus, that he may be glorified in your life and mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when Jesus left his disciples, you did not leave us alone, but you gave us your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would help me and each one of us to open our hearts afresh to your Holy Spirit's presence, that he may continue the work of Jesus in us to shape and mold us more into your image and to be the men and women that you have called us, that you desire us, that you empower us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.